Hey, yeah. there you are. We got it. We got it, mate. Thank God for that. <laughs> How you been, mate? How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yourself? Very, very well. Where are we today? In your uh, little secret hideout? Yeah, in my little hovel. Uh, back at home. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's boiling here. We've got a bit of a heat wave, so I've got the aircon on and just trying to stay cool, really. Oh, really? Really bad, yeah. is it? It's about, it's, it's late 20s in the degrees, which for you, the UK is damn hot, but it's not a nice heat, you know, it's a sticky, clammy, sweaty, oh. when you eat like kind of heat, so. The yeah. annoying kind, eh? Yeah, the wrong kind. <laughs> so you're, you're uh, where are you based in UK? Uh, Leicester, which is smack bag in the middle. So I'm about an hour away from everywhere in the UK, an hour away from London, an hour away from Manchester. You know, so it's um, it's quite good for work because it allows me to get up and down the country pretty easy, and I don't have the living expenses of London, so that's quite that's quite nice. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Have you ever lived in London before, or you just stayed away from? No, yeah. no, I, I stay away from there. It's um, I like the open spaces. We've got a bit of land here. We've got about thirteen acres of land. Oh, nice. Um, and I've always grown up with land, and so kind of going to London and, and being an ant in a concrete block, I just think it's all right for a weekend, but I think I'd be pulling my hair out after after a little bit. So Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's uh like the prices of stuff there is absolutely insane. Like you just unless you're a Russian oligarch, you're struggling to, to get anything really. A basement. Is it really that bad? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's um absolutely monstrous down there. Yeah, so. I've never been. I do want to go to the UK eventually, but, you know, pandemic, man. How have you coped with the pandemic over the last year or so? It's been pretty tough. I mean, anybody in the creative industry has really, really struggled. Um, you know, I mean, I can't... I think it's one of them things where you can't... You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You know, everybody has a, has a theory on it or thinks people should be doing this or should be doing that. Mm. And... You know, the British government, in terms of sort of compensating workers, I mean, they, if you're employed, they give you 80% of your income, which is, you know, I thought was, was pretty generous, to be fair. Um, if you're self-employed, now that was a different story. So uh. you've got 80% of your profit rather than your income. So any small businesses have really, really struggled. Um and yeah it's been i mean i suppose it's the same all across the world really in that i think the difficulty has been nothing has really made sense you know one minute mask up the next minute you don't mask up and then one minute it's coming from here it's coming from there you know i i don't think we're going to know the truth of this in our lifetime you know i think it's going to be our kids kids that might find out what's really gone on but mm. it, it's one of them things where <sighs> You know, you just, I just wish it hadn't become political. I think that's the biggest, biggest problem with it. You know, if it, I just don't understand how something like this can get, can get that political. So nobody actually knows what on earth is going on. You know, I think mm. so. And you've got, you know, you've got those that are fully, you know, it's the, it's the worst thing out there. You know, we're all going to die. You've got those that think it's a complete hoax and everything in between. And, 
I think most people just really want to try and get back to some kind of normality. So, mm. uh, I mean, it's been a difficult situation here. My dad's my dad's got cancer, um, and so he's got uh, asbestos cancer, mesothelioma. So obviously, you know, it was a concern. Getting any kind of sort of lung infection for him would have been quite disastrous. So, you know, we had a chat early on, and he just said, "Look, it is what it is. You know, if I get it." I get it. If I don't, I don't. What can you do? You can't, you know, you, 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 mm. it's a potluck really. So, um, and then, you know, I know some people that have had, had, the, had the Corona and, you know, not experienced it. And I also, you know, I was friends with uh, a model called Stephanie Dubois um, who had uh, the, uh, the jab for it um she just moved out to cyprus to, to start a new life out there had the jab and, and and died a few days later she had a reaction to the jab so you from the I vaccine probably, wow yeah um and obviously that doesn't really make much headline news because it's not, it's not mm. what people want to hear but um so you just got every extreme and it's so hard to to know where we're at with it so you know but it's been tough for it's been tough for businesses it's been tough for Speaking to a lot of the people that I, I work with, some of them haven't, haven't had a job in two years now. Um, mm. And that's that's pretty harsh. Um, and then, you know, I, I do... I've had quite a few careers in my time. Um, I know. Look, doing some research. <laughs> I know you have. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, some of the, the university students that I've spoken to, you know, I feel for them because they're still paying the university fees they're not going to university. It's all lectures online. And I'm thinking, you know, they're, they're getting into debt when they could have just sat on YouTube and learned just as much, you know, and mm. they've not actually had any experience of going away. So yeah, it's, uh, so you guys still in lockdown over there or what? We have, no, we've just, all our restrictions, we just had freedom day here. Um, freedom so day. now we're, yeah, we're now in a state where we don't have to mask up, but, a large, I think the majority of, of the population is still doing it because I think there's a certain amount of conditioning that's gone on now, you know, where people are reluctant to take off masks and things like that. Um, but I think, I mean, I'm not too, I think it gets so confusing from one week to the next, you know, we can do this, we can do that. You can meet three people. I mean, it's so ludicrous. Um, my dad's just been in the hospice for two weeks and I live uh, on, on the family land. So I'm effectively, me and my mum are in the same bubble. And <laughs> I said to my mum, because we could only go and see him at certain times for an hour. And I said, well, ask them if we can go together. We're in the same bubble. It shouldn't be a problem. So she asked and they were like, no, you have to come on your own. And I went to see a friend and I've got a little dog, a little Springer Spaniel, uh, Jessica. And I took my dog with me and I called in to see my dad on the way back. I thought, oh, I'll leave the, the dog in the car for half an hour. She'll be fine. And as I pulled into the hospice, I saw somebody come out of the hospice with a dog. So I walked into reception and I got, got all my stuff on. And I said, I, I can't bring my dog in, can I? And the receptionist was like, yeah, yeah, of course you can. Of course you can. No problems. I'm like, are you, are you serious? So I can bring my dog in, but I can't bring my mum. Like, I don't know what that says about my mum. <laughs> I don't really know. But that's how ludicrous. This is why everyone's Whoa. like, I don't really know what to make of it. Um, no. So... But yeah, we're, we're, we're sort of now coming out of it all, even though you've got the new variant and everything like that. But generally, 
you know, infections are sort of going up with this new variant, but deaths and sort of hospitalizations are still down now. But yeah, I've got a feeling that, you know, we, we might go back into lockdown. I think I can see now that we're all, because if you'd have said to somebody a couple of years ago, right, you're not going to be able to go, you're gonna not be able to go to work, you're not going to be able to go to a wedding, you're not going to be able to go to a funeral, you'd have turned around and gone, no chance, no government's going to stop me doing that. But now we're conditioned to it. I got a feeling, though, know, next year we might have, I don't know, swine flu virus. The year after that, we might have a bird flu virus. And because we all now are so used to lockdown, it'll be like, oh, yeah, we're going into lockdown for three weeks to be, you know, it's going to be. It's a normal, you reckon that's going to be a normal thing? I think How? I can oh. see it repeating through that way. Yeah. I hope, I hope I'm wrong. No, I've, no. Just this, I've just got this feeling that now that we're sort of almost conditioned to it, it's not going to be a huge thing for governments around the world to say, right, we're back in lockdown. We'll go from there again. You know what I mean? So yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. Joel's amazing, strong and positive person. I uh, hope, <laughs> hope Joel's dad will get better. You're such an amazing, strong person, Joel. There you go. There's a few <laughs> uplifting, uplifting comments. <laughs> well, we keep, we keep our fingers crossed. It, you know, with something like cancer, I mean, it's, it, it just affects everybody. I, I don't, you know, there's very few people on this planet that it's not touched in some way or another. And I think you've just got to, you know, with dad's condition, it's terminal. We, we, we kind of know where we're going to be going with it. There's no sort of time frame as such, which can be quite difficult because, mm. you know, it, it could be this week, it could be next week, it could be next year. You just don't know. So you just have to take it each day as it comes and, you know, sort of value the time that you've got together now, I suppose. Um you know, and the big thing for me, a friend of mine, her mum died of cancer a few years back and she sort of gave me some good advice. And she said, look, the only thing you've got to do is make sure that your dad knows your mum's going to be OK, um, because that's what when her mum died, that's what she was saying. Just make sure your dad's OK. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what me, I've got two, two older brothers and that, that's what we've kind of, you know, <laughs> you know, it's about the family coming together and just making the best of the situation. There's no point in. You know, it's frustrating and you can get angry and bitter, but you've just got to take take what you can from the moments you've got, I think. I am sorry to hear that, man. Yeah. Um, but uh, so in terms of like your business, how, how do you want to tell people what you do for a day-to-day job that <laughs> might not know? Well, um, now uh, <laughs> I, 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 um, I act and model for, for a living. That's my main profession. Um, in addition to that, I also run a photographic studio, uh, where I live. Uh, I teach photography, work behind the camera. Um, I also have a sort of a a health and fitness consultancy business. I have a select small number of clients who I work with. Um, I coach boxing, uh, which was my main sport as an adult. Um, and I, I, I sort of. I can't, what I try and explain to people, I kind of live a life and I get paid for some things and I don't others. Uh, because in addition to that, I also run a, a charitable foundation called Always With A Smile. Um, and with that, the UK is one of them countries where there are bizarre events going on all over the place. Um, bizarre a, events, you mean, by what do you mean by that? Well, okay, so... My always with a smile CV includes the following sort of merits. 
Um, I'm a six-time world gravy wrestling champion. Okay. Um, I'm, a, I'm a former world former world clog cobbing champion. That's throwing a pair of old boots over the back of your head. Um, I'm a five-time winner of the Birdman competition, and that's where uh, competitors build flying machines and fly off a pier in their flying machines. My God, this um, sounds like fun. Yeah, it is, and it's pretty dangerous and scary as well. Um, I, um, I'm a former winner of the UK Wife Carrying Championships. Oh I hold God. the record for carrying the heaviest wife in wife carrying history at 22 stone. Um, I am also the only wife carrier to have carried two wives at the same time. Um, You've got a lot I of accolades. I hold the record for carrying the heaviest amount of coal at the World Coal Carrying Championships. Um, and that's with, at the Coal Carrying Championships, that's normally 50 kilos of coal for 100, uh, well, sorry, 1,014 yards, so just under a mile. Um, I've been doing it for over 10 years now, and each year I try and push the boundaries a bit more. Um, and so I did 120 kilos of coal uh, on my shoulders for, for the mile. And I've also ran all eight races, one after the other, with 50 kilos of coal as well. So you literally um, carried me and a bit yeah. for a mile. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am the target at the World Egg Throwing Championships. You're the target? Uh, um, yeah. So <laughs> egg throwing uh, is, a, is a unique discipline. There are, there are multiple games at the Egg Throwing Championships. Uh, sort of the pinnacle is egg roulette. So you have six eggs, yeah. five of which are hard-boiled. And oh, yeah, you yeah. pull one out and smash it over your head. Uh, I'm in the accuracy discipline. So competitors stand uh, around eight yards away from me and they have three eggs to throw at me. And they get one point if they hit the arms and the legs, two points for the body and three points for the groin. And normally the winner each year has nine points. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a very painful event. Um, and so you need to wear a box. The, yeah, well, I'm not allowed. Um, oh. The, the president Hold on, the don't world... you make the rules? <laughs> no. Okay. no. The president of the World Egg Throwing Federation is a guy called Andy Dunlop. And um, <laughs> he, he, he likes to research the connection between the groin and the brain and <laughs> insists that I don't wear a box. Um, oh, it doesn't seem shit. fair to me, but I have to follow the rules. So, so there's all these, all these wacky competitions that go on in the UK. Um, I'm an ambassador for the Liverpool Santa Dash, where we have 8,000 Santas all running through the streets of Liverpool. Oh, um, my goodness. I um, I run the Mad Mold and Mud Run every year naked, which is a, a run across an estuary and back, um, and you just get absolutely caked in mud. So you can't see anything because I'm literally covered from head to toe in mud. Um, it's the bog snorkeling in Wales. It's the backwards running championships. Uh, it's World Pillar Fight Day at Trafalgar Square. Just all the mud runs and bizarre races and bizarre events. It's amazing. Um, my organisation's involved in. And then we also, in normal times when we don't have COVID, we tend to go away a couple of times a year and we do what's called um, bucket list trips. So things that are designed that you'll remember till the day you die. So before COVID, um, in sort of the three or four years before COVID, We'd trekked 100 kilometers across the Sahara Desert. We'd done the Inca Trail, wow. the Great Wall of China, uh, trekked the Amazon. Um, 
What else have we done? We'd uh, cage dive with great white sharks, climb Kilimanjaro. Hold on, you've done all this. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness, man. You're beating me in life at the moment. I'm gonna catch it's, up. It's oh shit. Um, so that's what I that's what I do now. Um I started out life way back when when I was a youth. Uh I was a biochemist originally by degree. Which uh, sounds it's funny you say that, because that sounds like a Resident Evil character's backstory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could well be, you know. Um, and then um my my plan was always to sort of do a PhD and and you know, avoid work for as long as possible. Were you big um, at this point? Were you were you in shape? I've always been in shape. My main, growing up, my main sport was rugby. Um, like I was very much into it. And, union or league? Uh, union. Nice. Um, le- leagues played up north. Um, okay. Union is more of a sudden thing. Um, and so my age group, um, it was the likes of Lewis Moody and those kind of guys. Um, I played against um they knocked me out a few times as is the way of things um but i had a i had a neck injury when i was 17 i basically snapped my neck so that kind of ended my my rugby days um and i got into boxing from there which sounds sounds even worse (laughs) yeah but the thing was that the danger with rugby was that i was about sort of 12 stone when i was playing rugby um and the danger was i had a 20 stone guy run over the top of me uh, when I was, but when I'm boxing, I'm boxing the guy that's my own size. Um, yeah, okay. And so yeah, yeah. The, I, that was that was a lot a lot better for me. So um, yeah, I was always I was always health and fitness has always been a big part of my life, and especially when I got to boxing, you know, the level the the fitness level. I thought I was fit when I played rugby, and then I went to boxing, and I remember the first session we did a two mile run warm up, and then. 15 minutes of skipping and I was about ready to be sick and we still had an hour and a half of the session to go. So, um, and what's well, intense. So, yeah, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I did my biochemistry degree and I, I, I didn't do a PhD in the, in the end and I didn't really know what I was going to do. Mm. Because like a lot of people, you kind of go through that school university and then you kind of get to the end of the road. And you're like, okay, I, what, what now? I don't, know anything about me or my life or what job I want to do. And that could be quite scary at times. Um, and so I, a lot of my friends were just getting temporary work in a, in a, like a factory. Mm-hmm. And I thought that doesn't sound very nice. So I got a job as a teaching assistant at a primary school. That sounded a lot more fun. Okay. Um, and they, I'd, I'd been there a, a couple of terms and they offered me another degree in teaching. So I did that and I became a teacher teaching primary um how old were you at this point i was about well i'd have been about 22 23 yep something along those lines um but because teaching wasn't something i'd ever like set my heart on yep i I thought it was good to have it as a backup because i could always go into it um but but i got a commission in the royal marines so (laughs) i then went into the marines um as you do (laughs) i got thrown out the marines for being colorblind um Really? Yeah. That, wow. That was a, That's that was a deal a breaker. Yeah. I, I Basically, what happened is when I went in, I went into the Marines because they were the only um, section of the armed forces that would take me because I, had, I was colorblind. And then in the UK, they made the entry requirements, the medical requirements uniform across all of the armed forces. 
So they raised the standard of colour vision in the Marines. Uh, because okay. I was going through training, I was then no longer covered by their insurance. So um, basically we were on exercise one day and they pulled me to one side and they said, you're going home. And that was it. So wow, that was, a, that was a bit of a... That was a bit of a gutter because I thought obviously I'd had a career for 10 years and that suddenly went went sideways. So I thought this was this was during like the Iraq war and things like that. Yep. So I thought, well, I'll I'll go out to the Middle East and find out what's going on. So basically I, I packed my bags. Uh, well, I didn't actually pack a bag. I just went in the clothes that I was wearing to the airport and flew out to Europe and trekked my way across the Middle East and went all around the Middle East, Syria, Beirut, Lebanon, Damascus, ended up in Cairo studying Hold Arabic. Hold on, by yourself? Um, yeah. Really? Yeah. Just No I fear? A, no, and, and I was made to feel absolutely welcome by everybody I met. And considering the time that I went, you know, and I always, I always sort of say, I remember being um, in Damascus, uh, late at night, early hours of the morning, even but one or two o'clock in the morning, and I made a I made an effort when I was out in the Middle East. So I had a, I grew my beard a bit longer. I was wearing sort of uh, okay. Middle East clothing, um, and so I was trying to fit in. But obviously, I didn't look like like a native Middle Eastern, and so people were very receptive to the fact that I'd made an effort, you know, and I was trying. Mm. And I remember standing there on a street corner and I was thinking, oh, it's getting quite late. I best, I best get back to, to my hotel. And a, and a guy came up to me, a young lad, and he just said, oh, you know, what are you doing here? Are you, are, you, are you here working or whatever? And I just had a chat with him. I explained what I was doing. And he was a, he was an Iranian studying at the, the University of Damascus. And we had a good chat. And, um, and he, I said, look, oh, you know, it's getting late now. I'd best be getting back to my hotel. And he said, yeah, and I shook his hand and I said, look, thank you so much. And I walked off and then he ran up after me and he goes, I can't let you go. You're not gay, are you? And I looked at him and I said, I'm sorry, mate. No, no, no. He goes, I couldn't let you go without asking. And I just thought that was so sweet, you know. It was just one of them things where you couldn't make it up. And then oh, you know, I tell wow. the story to people when they get back. <laughs> and I say, now, if you can imagine an Iranian on the streets of Leicester at two in the morning, during the height of the Iraq war, I wouldn't have given him five minutes before someone had beat the hell out of it. And yet I was made to feel, you know, so welcome. Um, so I had a great time out there. And then I went and visited some family in South Africa and came home. Um, I then took a job at teaching GCSE and A-level just to tide me over. Um, did massage therapy at night school, became a qualified masseuse. Oh my God, uh, are you serious? Yeah, um, oh, started to work for a construction company doing their accounts, and so you were just playing on... the field, trying to find out what you were passionate about. Yeah, I, I kind of came to a, I kind of came to a conclusion that you know, like my dad's my dad was an electrician and he could mend anything. You know, mend a car, build a house. You know, so talented like that. If I bought, if I bought a wardrobe from IKEA. After six hours, I'd be rocking in the corner crying because I would, I would just not, that's not my thing. But if you give me a book on <coughs> organic chemistry, further mathematics, quantum physics, <laughs> that 
comes a lot easier to me. And I think in society today, we value rightly or wrongly those things quite highly. So I, I understand that I'm quite privileged in that I can choose different professions and switch over quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was say so I was working in the accounts department of a construction company, arguing with a quantity surveyor on the phone. And one of the people, one of my colleagues said, oh, the way you argue, you ought to be a lawyer. And so I left and went to law school. Oh, uh, got my goodness. Um, was Hold on, what age are you now? Uh, ooh, be sort of mid to late 20s. Okay. Um, uh, did my barrister qualifications um, and got called to the bar, in, I think it was in 2009. And at that stage, the foundation had been going for three years at that stage. And I'd just done a TV appearance here in the UK and it started to blow up. And I kind of had to make a choice about what I wanted to to do, whether I wanted to carry on with the foundation or go into law, because law is a profession that consumes every moment of your life, particularly at the beginning of your career. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, a local photographer contacted me and she'd seen some censored pictures of me doing a naked run in Wales, uh, a naked 5K. And she said, oh, can I, can I photograph you? I, I haven't photographed the male. And I was like, no chance. That's not my kind of thing. Um, really? I'm a, you were standoffish? I'm a, yeah, I, I was like, I'm a rugby playing boxer. I'm not going to stand there and look pretty. And, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, and some of the people that followed, she was, oh no, we can do a charity calendar. And some of the people that followed the foundation were like, oh yeah, yeah, I'd buy it. I'd buy it. So I got roped oh, into doing this photo yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and then a friend of mine at the time sent off these sent off the pictures to an agency, who then got in touch and said, can you come down to London and meet with us? And I thought, wow, oh, fair enough. And that's how I kind of ended up in this career I've got now. Like, wow, I was too physically big to be you know i'm, I'm too large to be a, a commercial male model like you, you know you can't fit me off the peg and so really I, I you gotta be of, what you gotta be smaller in in size or in height yeah the thing is like they they want um a model that they can just take a suit off the off the rack and give you it With right me, yeah they've got to alter the trousers to fit the chest to fit the you know it doesn't work that way you know if you're a name and fair enough but i know so what I you got mean put, oh, I got put forward for a few acting jobs and I was quite lucky early on in my career to land a commercial that, that got sort of repeated for four years. Do you and get residuals on that? Uh, yeah, you get paid uh, like, so they buy the commercial for a year and they run it for a year. And then if they go for 366 days, you get another year's worth of cash. And oh, so yeah. So oh yeah. So that was a nice little gig. Um, it's now deemed a sexist advert because I was playing a, a fireman and it was for a toilet cleaner of all things. And uh, I sort of knock on a, a lady's door. I, I've seen this one. Is this the Harpic yeah, one? The Harpic one, yeah. yeah. She's smooth. And apparently now it's it's all, you know, hunky men putting pressure on firemen to look a certain way. and uh, It's like, just a bit of fun, guys. Yeah, yeah it's just a bit of Literally, fun. Literally, um, yeah. And yeah, um, and... Yeah, and it's worked out really well because being in the, in this industry now, I have to juggle obviously running the foundation and, and all these different things. And 
my time is my own. You know, I can I can wake up in the morning, I can do some training, and then I can go do an hour of foundation work, and then I can do an hour of my modeling or acting work. And, and my time is my own. And, you know, I do work, you know, 60, 70, 80 hour weeks sometimes. Mm. But it's work that that I enjoy doing and it's my own time. And, you know, I'm, 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 it's just the way that things have worked out, you know, and everything is geared up really to help me run the foundation. I don't, I, I kind of, like I said about, you know, you panic over your job and you think, you know, what am I going to do? All these people are, are sort of your friends start to get into work and they're doing all this stuff. And you, you think you're being left behind. And, you know, I think you soon realize actually, a lot of them are doing jobs that they don't enjoy. They just, they start to earn money and they get a mortgage and they can't get out of a job. And before they know it, they blink and they've had a career that they didn't really enjoy. And I'm, I'm quite fortunate, I think, to be doing lots of different things, which I enjoy. And, you know, I've had a lot of opportunities to experience a lot of different things. And, you know, I've just been of the opinion, if I find a job that I want to do for 30, 40 years, then great. And if I don't, I'll keep moving on and, and do something else. So, but things are going you know, pretty well at the moment. Um, I've just had another show come out on, on ITV here in the UK, um, which is a sort of a, how can I describe it? They, 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 they describe it as a cross between sort of gladiators from the 1980s meets Mad Max. And it's kind of aimed at that kind of Love Island demographic. Um, but what is the show? Is it a reality sort of show? No, it's, it, it's a, it's where it's called Apocalypse Wow, and a group of celebrities challenge superhumans uh, to win money for charity. And um, so they verse you in different like arenas or something. Yeah, yeah, and we're all in this we're in this big steel dome, and and I my my persona is called Hot Slippy Jesus, and um, <laughs> they have to, as a six-time world gravy wrestling champion, they have to see how long they can stay in a. Uh, a, a gravy pit full of lube uh, with me. Um, oh so I get God. to basically break up a few celebrities into small pieces and throw them out again. So These are UK fun. celebrities, yeah? Yes, apparently. Although like celebrities? Not, is that the... Is it, yeah. I'm not a reality TV guy, so... You don't know I, anyone? <laughs> I don't know who they are. But, you know, the only guy that I knew on the show was a guy called Mark Felix because he's a world's strongest man competitor yeah. and he was on the superhero side. Okay. So I'm just a bit like, um, you are, I don't know. I haven't got a clue. So yeah. Yeah. You know. Right. So how do the producers like get in your ear and say, go soft to this one or like, how does that work? Um, it, it, they're, they're, the thing about the thing about wrestling and, and stuff like that is like, if you don't, if they don't understand that it's pantomime, somebody can get hurt. Like, so if I come out and I'm beating my chest and I'm going, let's say I'm, I'm looking like I'm about to rip somebody's head off. Yeah. They can, they can get a bit defensive. And I've done I don't oh, know, really? show, shows now where I've done wrestling on, on, on TV. And it's really important that I have a word with them beforehand. And even when I have a word with them, they are still very apprehensive that they think I'm going to take a cheap shot and that I'm actually going to try and hurt them. And it's only when, you know, you're 10 seconds into the action that they kind of realize, actually, this is just fun and I'm not trying to hurt them. 
you know, because I'm talking to them all the way through it. I'm like, you know, I'm telling them what I'm going to do and I'm saying, right, do this to me. And, you know, it's... Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly... Because if you... It's like a dance. You know, I, I teach ballroom and Latin dance. And, um, yeah, I know it's crazy. Hold on, um, hold on. How many things do yeah. you do? This is unbelievable. Well, I, now. Come on. I went, <laughs> see, I went from rugby to boxing and then boxing is a young man's sport. And um, when I when I got a little bit older, I took up ballroom and Latin and I love it. I think it's such a, such a lovely thing to do. It's one mm. of, you know, I can, I can, I can play rugby to a certain age. I can box to a certain age. I can lift to a certain age. And eventually I'm going to have to stop because something's going to fall apart. You can dance to the day you drop down, you know, and at the dance school, we do tea dances and we get, you know, couples in their eighties and nineties, you know, they come and they, 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 they just do a little waltz on the floor and then they sit down and have a cup of tea. And it's, you know, they've been married 60 years and the, it's just such a lovely thing to see. And then you get the odd dirty old lady that wants to dance with me and she'll grab my bum halfway through. And, you know, it's all, it's all fun and games, you know, yeah. there's, nothing, there's, there's nothing more naughty than a, than a dirty old lady. So, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's great fun. And, and, but wrestling is a bit like dancing, you know, it's following and leading and, and you're like a glove and you fit together and, when you wrestle it, when you're doing these TV things, it's important that the celebrities know that that it's a dance, it's pantomime. I'm not trying to hurt them. And once they right. get that, then it works. If they if they don't get it, then it ends up like you know Roman Greco wrestling, where like two people are just rolling around all the time, and it's not it don't make good TV. So you know it's um, it's an interesting one, yeah. So. But we have we have great fun with the with the gravy wrestling. So. so how do you get into something like being the face model for Nomad and Ghost Recon and Heisenberg and Resident Evil? How do those opportunities well, come about? Um, two very different ways, really. With with the uh, the Ghost Recon job, um, that was I have an agent in London, um, and you know. The agent receives uh, a casting come through from the casting agents and he puts forward people that he think might be suitable. Yeah. Uh, and if the casting agent thinks you're suitable, you get called into London to cast for the job. And I can remember that particular casting session because I thought, oh, I've absolutely messed that one up. Um, you know, we we went in as a couple, uh, as a pair. There was two of us on the casting and they got these little toy guns about that big. And we had to pretend we were shooting and getting shot and, uh, you know, and I thought I'm, I'm looking a complete moron. And <laughs> I just thought I've, I've really messed that one up. And then I, I came out and I was so frustrated at the casting. I left straight away. I, I left these hundred pound headphones in the casting area. So I was doubly annoyed. <laughs> oh no. Uh, you know, I went, I was just like, I messed that up. I, oh, I was so frustrated. Mm. And then my agent rang me like three days later and he goes, you're the yeah. favourite so far. You're in, and I was like, "You, you what?" <laughs> castings are like that. When you think you've had an absolute mare, you normally end up getting it. The, the castings that you think you've nailed, you never hear back from them. So that yeah. the Ghost Recon job, I, I got through my agent, and it was a fantastic gig. We went out to the Ukraine, and I think we were there for nine days. Ukraine, and, yeah. Wow. Um, and you know, it's one of them things. I don't know whether we were filming in the Ukraine because. 
you can get away with doing things but there were explosions going off everywhere burning tires you know <laughs> okay surreal. yeah probably yeah, yeah you know it was one of them where you i mean i they, they were just like i mean i loved it they were just like joel here's a gun run through the woods i'm like yeah cool <laughs> running away and then they were like get in that swamp there I'm like, okay cover yourself in mud and i'm like splashing mud all over my face and they're like right go and get the snake i'm like snake cool and then they, like put this snake on my head and it's crawling across me and i'm like this is brilliant like there's a <laughs> big rainmaker in the sky like in the trees and it's you know coming down with rain and i'm freezing and i'm like that's that's my element i mean if you you see some of the stuff that i do with the foundation it was just like doing a foundation event so they're all looking at me thinking is this guy insane like he's he's got a snake on him he's covered in mud and he's, he's there laughing his head off that was great fun um the that's uh, ubisoft the yeah ubisoft yeah. yeah um we had a you know fantastic time and the trailer was just so hold know, on. so cinematic and so sorry to cut you off that was for yeah. uh wildlands but there was also the sequel yeah breakpoint no, that, you was for breakpoint. Oh, that was for breakpoint that was for breakpoint okay yeah okay. Um, you know, and, and, you know, hope, hopefully they'll bring out another one and then you go again. Yeah. You go again because that was a, <laughs> that was a very nice gig. Yeah. Very nice. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. That's uh, great. Cause the thing about, you know, obviously these, com you know, computer games are the, are the new film, you know, when you think about how much money it takes, you know, you produce, a, I, I've just done a film or been a part of a film called The Northman, which comes out next Hold year. On. Which is Hold on. Hold on. The Northman I'm thinking of? With Robert Eggers as director. No way. You're, yeah. you're involved? Yeah. I'm a, I, oh I play a Oh, my goodness. I can't wait for this movie, man. Yeah. It's, oh. um, so, who's, who's in it again? Oh, um, um, well, Robert Eggers directed it. Uh, Alex Skarsgård is the lead. Nicole Kidman? Nicole Kidman, um, Ethan Hawke. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. You know, it's a big ensemble cast. It's supposed to be a three-hour, you know, epic oh, I can't wait. thing. They've got really high hopes for it. Yeah. Um, and I am one of 12 berserkers that were cast. Now, normally when I walk on set, people are like, you're a big guy. Not on this. <laughs> you were just one of the one of the twelve, eh? Well, we were as berserkers. We were divided into two, effectively two groups. We were yeah. um, either wolves or bears. The bears were the big guys. The wolves were the small guys. I was a wolf. The bears were all about six foot eight. Oh my goodness, you know? that's insane. Um, they were giant men, and I. I just felt like I just felt like a small child, really. Honestly, there's a picture of me standing next to them, and they're all about a foot and a half taller than me, and I look twelve, and they look like giant men. And there's the mountain from Game of Thrones in it as well. Yeah, I was going to say. And they look, they all look the same size, and it's just, yeah, it's nuts. Like the size of these guys. Yeah. So I play a, uh, I play one of the berserkers in that. Um, you know, we'll see. We're all excited to see the film. Um, it's very much centered around the lead, Alex. So okay. we're not quite sure when or if we will actually. It could be one of those films where you have to pause it and say, 
that's me in the back there. You yeah, 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 yeah. You don't know. No, you don't uh, know the coverage that you'll get. Yeah, uh, we're all hoping. Um, I do get a line that I have to say, but whether it'll be cut out, I don't know. Um, you know, you never know with these things. Yeah. Um, so I hope you're. Yeah, no, I really want to. I want to. I hope you get the yeah, line now. We're, we're all buzzing <laughs> for it, and as a group, it was a. You know, it was a really good crack. You know, the we all got on really well as as berserkers. You know, it was quite a, a tight knit group, and yeah. it was actually quite tough filming. Um, the way that, hang on, you've gone, my man. You're back. Sorry, I'm back. Oh, I'm back. back. Yeah, there you are. Um, the way that Robert Eggers likes to direct things is in, is in one shot. So um, we would spend a whole day just trying to get maybe five or ten seconds of footage in one shot. Um, and in one particular scene, uh, we're sort of creeping up on this, this village, which we're, we're about to attack. And the whole day was effectively spent going under a rainmaker, so we're wet, so we were freezing, and then sprinting towards this this village. And we just kept doing it over and over again until we got that perfect single take. There's no cutscenes, and you know, it's it's all very much He loves sweeping. the one, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 Which is which is which is it looks great, but it's it's extremely exhausting to film and it's very, very tiring doing oh it, yeah it's not as if you can just say oh we'll use that cut and we'll blend it with that one and everything else it's it's all it's all very long and and, and everything else so so that was that was great fun fun to film um that's amazing man yeah that's one of my most uh, anticipated movies it's just so well, bizarre yeah, that you're in it. it it's due say due to be out early uh 2022 because obviously with the cinemas being shut down and everything like that and i think I think they've got really, really high hopes for it. I mean, you never know with these things. Um, but, you know... A24, they're usually... They're known as, like, indies, yeah. but they usually get a pretty good turnout, don't they? Yeah, I mean, they'll say the, the cast is, is fantastic. Mm. Um, and it'll be interesting to see... Obviously, Robert Eggers is known for his sort of horror films and everything else, and it, I'm quite interested to see... Because it, it's supposed to be quite gory, but when you're obviously on set, you don't see the gore. You see prosthetics and you see fake blood and, you know. It looks silly, yeah. Well, yeah, and you, you just don't, I'm not very good at gore. Like, I couldn't last like five minutes of a Saw film without just like having to close my eyes and whatever. And so when he bites somebody's neck out <laughs> on set, it doesn't look anything, you know. You're just thinking, oh, that looks quite funny. But mm. if I go and watch it at the cinema... I'm probably going to be like, oh my God, no, 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 you know. And then we're going to get to my yeah. scene. And if I'm cut out, I'm going to get up and say, this film is crap. And I'm going to walk out, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. cut me out, you know. Um, but with the with the Resident Evil film, um, that was a, basically an online casting. Um, really? So there are certain websites where you can you can look for work and stuff like that. And most of the jobs are... You know really poor you know um but this one this one caught my eye um and so i applied for it directly do you remember what got, it said got, like do you remember what the code name was or anything like any that? indication of what the game was you knew it was a game though yeah they told you it was a game um but they they don't give you any more and mm. so I, I think i flew to berlin 
um, and they do effectively facial recognition on you. So you, I've done a number of a number of these kind of shoots. It's, it's absolutely, it's it's amazing the technology, but it's also very very scary because you sit in like a dome. And there well, there's are like a hundred cameras around you. Hundred yeah. cameras all pointing at you, and you've got sort of dots on your face, and they'll they'll get you to do a variety of different expressions. So you sit there, and they'll go, "Yeah, look like an idiot." And yeah, they, <laughs> and they, they they photograph you, and yeah. they then take that information and they render it together. And the the company that did this, I was having a chat with them because I, I say I've done I've done three D shoots before where they've they've done my whole body and. That I, I did a, a shoot for a, um, a a drawing app, so they did my whole body in various positions, and then you could take the app and you could put me in any position you wanted and light me in any direction on the app, so you could do life drawing with me. Yeah, wow. absolutely fascinating. Um, and the guy was Andy Circus had been in to this company the week before. Wow. And. He, you know, he punched some stuff on his keyboard and Andy Serkis' face popped up and he could literally get Andy Serkis to say anything. And you just think, oh my God. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like the te- this is the technology now. You think where it's going to be in 10 years' time? Like, you're not going to know whether somebody's actually saying it or whether it's a computer-generated... Well, even deepfakes get people. You know deepfakes? Yeah. 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 And and you look, I say you look at the Star Wars films, you know, and they're bringing mm. back people that have been dead for God knows how long. And you're thinking, yeah. this, you know, <laughs> you're not, not going to know who's real and who's not. Like going forward, it is. Like, yeah, people are going to die thirty years ago, and you're not going to know that they're dead, and they're going to be just like, yeah, it's another press conference from so and so, and is, it's absolutely. I mean, it's fascinating, but it's also terrifying. Um, yeah. So the first I actually knew that that I was playing the character of Heisenberg was when they released the game and they tagged me in it. And I was like, wow. No way. Are you serious? Yeah, I, didn't know, I did not know before that. You're joking. You know? No. And oh my God. So it's all, it's, it's all a bit, it's all come like as a bit of a whirlwind because I mean, obviously the franchise is massive and you know, I've had people all over the world sort of, contacting me over the last sort of three four weeks yeah has, it's response. blown up it's, been, it's just been absolutely insane yeah. you know um you know and it, it's 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 lovely it, it, but it's 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 just it's it's just reinforced to me like i say how how videoing or gaming is the new film because like i was saying before like you say you, you look at something like the northman that might cost 110 million to make now, if they make 200 million, it's a success. So they double their money. You get a computer game. You think of the costs that go into making it a computer game. Let's say it's 20 million. Then they knock it off around the world at, you know, $50, $60, $70 a, a unit. And the whole world is an audience. The profit margin is massive, you know. And so there's more money now to be made in gaming oh, yeah. than there is in, in films. Much more, new, yeah. It's the new, the new, the new media, and then mm. again, you think about where gaming is going to be in in ten years' time. You know, you're looking at, you know, interactive gaming. You're looking at, you know, virtual reality. You're looking at, you're going to be able to choose. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember when we used to have the books, 
used to read a book and you had to make a decision at the end of the book, you know, choose this thing, you can turn to page 34, you can choose this option, you turn to page 56. <coughs> and I used to love them. You know, and that's, you know, that's primitive gaming these days. Like the options, it's mm. just endless, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's, 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 like I say, I'm always now looking at gaming and thinking like, wow, like the opportunities in that, that particular field are massive. And I think, you know, film's not going not gonna to die out overnight, but like you've seen a shift away from say film to TV in recent years with, you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime and all those kind of things, like TV is now the, you know, in many ways, the new film. That's all, I think that's all going to shift over to gaming. You know, that's going to be the... Well, did you hear the news about um, Netflix? They're going to start doing more games now as well, a part of yeah, their... I mean, it's... It wouldn't surprise me. Even Amazon were working on games. So, you know, these are two yeah. of the biggest players in the game doing it. Well, this so. is the thing, you know, why wouldn't you? You know, mm. if you look at, you know, if you look at some of the, you know, the entertainment uh, media uh, consoles, you know, they've all got gaming controllers now. You know, you, you, you turn them on, you can get Netflix, you can get Prime, and they've all got games downloaded onto them as well. It, it makes, it just... It just makes perfect sense. Like, why wouldn't you? You know, and yeah. I just think it's say a massive, massive market that is going to get. It's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. So, so what's your reaction when you see Heisenberg for the first time and it's your face? Like, there must be. A, well, I guess you had it. You had it with with Nomad, so it's probably yeah, one off. It's almost like a double take because you you, you sort of look and then you're like. Oh, that that is me. That, that is, and, with, with, and you're trying to work it out. Um, it, it is very surreal, mm. um, really surreal. And then you know, I say over the the past sort of three or four weeks, you know, you've got a lot of a lot of people, like artists, doing pictures of Heisenberg, and that means they're effectively drawing you, and you know the wow like it's it's the what it's me again it's and it's, oh. it is it's double take time um you know Crazy. and i mean when i when i did uh when i was nomad like everyone kept saying to me jesus you're the spitting image of him you you look just so much like him <laughs> and i didn't have a, i didn't really much have much of a clue um and then i saw how the, the game character looked and i was like oh my god I really do look like, you know, I couldn't believe this, you know, when I'd got all this, the clothing on and the, the, the done the makeup and the put the tattoos on me and the scars. And I was like, Oh my word. Like it's, 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 it's spooky really, you know? Mm. Um, but it, as I say, I've, it's, it's been so flattering over the past three or four weeks, you know, the response and, you know, there's a lot of love for that character out there, you know, Everyone keeps telling me like he's the, he's the most difficult one, but we love him, you know. I love him, yeah. which is really sweet, you know. I, I would love to be able to take credit for it, but I'm just like oh, I'm just the face, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. And I I have to look at it, and I, I sort of look at the eyes as well because I'm like the eyes, yeah, it's definitely me. It, it is, it is, it's definitely me. My eyes there, like I can see, but yeah, it's um, I'm just at the moment, um, like with my modelling, I put together. Um, various cosplay outfits. So I've been like doing a Heisenberg one. 
Yeah, that's coming. Oh on yes, yeah. So I've got um, you know I get I get linked to Jason Momoa quite a lot. You know I've got an Aquaman, I've got a a Carl Drogo outfit, and various things. Um, and some of the the people that have responded to, to to me being in the face sort of said, "Oh, why don't you you know you, you should do a cosplay of Heisenberg?" And I was like, "Well, I suppose so." So I've just I've got everything together. I'm just waiting for a gentleman to finish off constructing the hammer and nice. then I will, get, nice. I will get straight on to to shooting that particular character um, and I hope I do it justice um, you know your followers will just double as soon as you put that photo out you know well, don't you? I hope so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a few videos as well and and put them out there and oh, yeah, just mate. have a bit of fun with it um, you know That's brilliant. I, just before just before all lockdown started, I, you know, I was thinking, you know, I should really do my, my first comic con somewhere, you know, with, yeah. you know, I was going to, and, um, and now I'm sort of thinking I should do one, but I just don't know which character I should go as. Should I go as Eisenberg? Should I go as Nomad? Should I go as Carl Drogo or Aquaman or, you know, I just, you got a few options. Yeah. I've got a few options. I love, yeah. I love your Aquaman one too. That was very accurate. That was very good. It, again, like people, the, the problem with that Aquaman is people go, well, that's not you. That's Jason Momoa. And I'm like, no, no, it's me. No, no, it's not. Because the, <laughs> the, 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 the look is extremely similar. They actually think you're Jason Momoa. Yeah. <laughs> that's But brilliant. the day that Jason Momoa does a Joel Hicks lookalike, I mean, that's when I know I've made it. You know what I mean? But I think we're a long way off that just at the moment. Oh, that's fantastic, trying, you know? man. Yeah. Okay. Do, do you think you'll ever play the game? Because you're not much of a gamer, are you? Well, the issue is, I used to be when I was younger. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, back in the day, I used to play, I mean, we're going back to the days of, you know, the Atari STs and Amigas and those kind of things. I mean, but I I used to love a game called Bard's Tale. Um, and I must have played, like the adventure, always like the, the role-playing games where you have to get a team of warriors together and go around and kill all the orcs and do all that kind of stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. those kind of, I used to love that kind of stuff. Um, 1985, used, wow. Yeah, long, yeah. I mean, I, I used to get up at like four in the morning and play it for three hours before school and then, you know, be up till two in the morning playing it again. I just got so addicted. Um, but I think the issue has just been, it was just time now. Yeah, you know, I know. That's, that's the big thing. And, you know, I know what my personality's like. So I could, if I do it, I'd be in it. I'd be like six hours later, I'd be still doing it. I wouldn't get any sleep. And <laughs> you know, the way that, the way that my sort of schedule works here, I mean, after this, I've got, I've got archery training for an hour and a half and then I'll be doing some more work. And I normally, I get up at sort of five or six o'clock in the morning and I, I basically, I keep going until I go to bed. Um, and so it's just finding the time. And I've, it's one of the areas of my life which I've really got to sort of work better to do. Like give myself that. I'm the same, that, man. That yeah. Um, but I think when you're... I think if you've got a job that you, let's say you don't necessarily, you don't have a passion for, I think it's a lot easier to find that time. But if you're really passionate about what you're doing, like... Work is not a nine to five. Work is just life. And I mean, you'll, you'll know yourself, like people, 
I mean, I remember the other thing is the mobile phone and social media, because again, I'm at an age where I remember being a kid and we'd, you know, we'd always sit down and have dinner together in the evening. And if somebody rang the house phone after like 6.30 at night, everyone would just like stare at it and go, who's ringing at this time? I mean, it's half past six. Who do they think they are? You're right. You're right. Actually. Like now, it's like one o'clock in the morning and someone will text you about work and you're like, you're yeah. always at the end of the phone. Yeah, you're and right. So, like, I kind of miss those days where somebody ringing after 6.30 was a, a, like a hangable offence. Um, and because I run the studio and things, a lot of the people that shoot at my studio are, are, are hobbyist photographers, freelance guys. Yeah. So they've got a normal job in the day. So they tend to contact me in the evenings. And, and obviously with, with coaching boxing and, and, and dancing in the evenings and everything else that goes on, it's just, it's just finding the time. You know, that's the, yeah. that's the only thing. So, but I think... Yeah, You're not ruling think, it out yet? Oh, no, no way. Like, I think... And the other thing to do, the other thing is, it's like I, I, I don't know which console I I would choose. Uh, you okay. Know? I don't know which one I would go for. Like, we used to have an Xbox. We used to be like Halo. I've got two brothers, um, and we used to play Halo all the time because it's one of them things where we would just love to kill each other. You know, it's just good fun. And one of my brothers lives in Sweden, and we could all play it. And you know, there was that. You know, just great fun. Yeah. Um, and so we were Xbox kind of people. But when I'm photographing, I shoot with a Sony. So now yeah. I'm kind of thinking, well, I should really stick with the brand because I really like the Sony camera. So maybe <laughs> I should get a PlayStation. And, you know, so yeah, okay. I, don't know what I, I don't know what I'd go for. But, you know, I'll, um, I'll maybe put that out to uh, the people that have supported be a resident evil and sort of suggest what do you think yeah I get? what do you want to be yeah. what should i get you know what's uh what's the best way to go yeah they're so. pretty they are pretty similar man i've got both the next gen and you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to tell the difference so it's just yeah did i hear did i hear something that they were going to start being able to be cross compatible I heard that i was thought I saw a yeah thing. they already are for certain games like um yeah like call of duty that's yeah. you can play Xbox and PlayStation, a um, couple of other games as well. So they are starting to do it, but Sony don't want to go too far in because they're leading. So yeah. they don't want to give them too Why much. Why would you want to? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, this is the argument that I have with people about, um, well, obviously Microsoft is a massive company, but, you know, when I when we look at, when I talk to people about cameras, you know, I, I shoot with a Sony. I, I'm absolutely brilliant. So what lens, by the way? What lens do you recommend? It depends on what you're doing really you know i mean st studio lenses can be because you know, i'm looking for a for a for a lens like to go here so it'd have to be quite close yeah so i don't, I don't know if you have any suggestions for me but um well i mean depending on how close you want to be the wider the lens you're going to need you know yeah and obviously you don't want to be distorted you don't want to get a really wide lens because then everyone's going to think you've got a massive nose and no, I don't want to be a fish know, fish eye. Yeah, exactly. Like, Ooh, so, <laughs> it, you know, I mean, it depends on, on what majority of the time it's going to be about the camera that you get and, and the autofocus system on your camera. So like with the Sony, the autofocus when you're doing video is absolutely fantastic. You can track your eyes. So no matter where you are, you know, it just picks it up. So, and Canon are pretty good too. 
But what I sort of say to people is you can take Canon, you know, Olympus, Nikon, everything else and merge all those companies together. And they're not a, they're still not a 10th of the size of the, of Sony, like in terms of how big they are. Sony's. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Isn't it funny? And so you, you know that with the advent of what, you know, what we call mirrorless cameras, you know, that's going to be, everyone's moving away from traditional DSLRs to mirrorless. And that's where it's going to go. And Sony is so far ahead. What's um, mirrorless? I'm, I'm a bit ignorant. What do you mean? Mirrorless are a lot, they're a lot smaller. They, they have a different mechanism for shooting, but they're, you know, they're really handy because obviously when I'm going traveling, DSLRs can be quite big and bulky and chunky. Yeah. Mirrorless yeah, yeah. Like a, literally sort of two thirds of the size. And they're a lot okay. lighter and the lenses are a lot smaller. So when I'm traveling and I'm, I'm carrying kit round, you know, they're absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. When I'm in, so when I was, when I went uh, cage diving with great whites, you know, I can take the camera in the cage with me and I'm not, well, it's great big camera uh, sort of sticking out for a great white shark to take off my hands. So. Um, As you do. Yeah. Just, just well, swimming with the sharks, eh? Just another day for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've done it twice now. I, I don't think I could do it. I'd be too scared. It's, it's, you know what, you, you would, it's one of them things where you, you see them in the water and you are just absolutely blown away by how yeah. majestic those creatures are. Like, uh, there's a video um, that I, I, when I go away on a, on a trip, um, I always choose a song. I do a big sort of hour and a half documentary when I go away, where I'm, you know, talking to camera and explaining what's going on and with the group and everything. And it's a real nice thing for the group to have, like as a memory of the trip. So I interview everybody that's on the trip and everyone plays a part in it. But I also, I take a song and I mime to it during the trip. And so you've got a, a lot of three and a half, four minute. Oh, in different thing. locations. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, great. And so, yeah. and so I do uh, one where I'm doing with the great white sharks and I take the video, I'm in the, in the cage and this, this shark rams the cage and bends the bars and it's just but you just see them in the water and man they're, they're beautiful beautiful creatures and the thing about it is like you know you obviously wouldn't want to go swimming with a great white but they don't actually like humans to eat you know humans don't taste good but the the shark's taste buds are in its gums so it has to bite down quite hard before it can actually taste you. So then it spits ah, you out. Just right. <laughs> so you're already gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it, most of the creature, I mean, when I was in the, in the Amazon, um, in trekking that, like the guy, the, 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 the trek leader that was explaining, was like most of the, of the creatures in here will not want to bother you. You know, yeah. they're very, you know, anacondas, they won't want to bother you. They, you know, they, they'll stay away. Like it's very, it's very unless they feel threatened, they normally won't won't attack. Hold on. So when you're uh, in the Amazon, you're trekking, and there's what there's there's anacondas around. That you got to be careful of. Are mm -hmm. you serious? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we went we went we went swimming in the Amazon. Are and, you uh, joking? No, no. Oh like my said goodness! Like he said about piranhas, he says, "Look, you're fine as long as you haven't got a cut." And he says, "If you've oh got a cut, my go goodness." Water. And literally, like, he, he took some crisps and he crunched them in the bag and he poured them over the side. 
and it was like someone had pressed the button on a jacuzzi because all these piranhas just went no all oh these my piranhas. goodness wow and um and he, he said look but if you go swimming he says you've got to wear tight fitting trunks and he says because there's a there's a parasite in the water that swims up your urethra and it's got a it, it basically is a barb and it barbs to your penis and it's a bit like having a very small Christmas tree going going up. And the only way that they can then remove oh. it is by the top of your stomach and taking it out that way because you can't... Oh, my God. Take it out. And, and so he, he tells us this. Oh. And uh, so I put my me, me shorts on and I go in the, in the water and I'm in there and I'm looking about and it's on video. Something came along and just nibbled on my nipple <laughs> and I literally, I jump out of my skin, like, and I laugh after straight away. I laugh. Oh. After, I'm like, you can see the look on my face. I'm like, oh my, oh my, and it just, it just like had a little nibble. But you know, it's things like that where you're like, oh my god, you know. But Far normally, like, it's it's great, it's great fun, you know. Oh, like, it would I, be. I, I, you know, everywhere of like some of the the, the places I've seen, you know, they've all got their own beauty, you know. I, you know, I went, you know, people think about the Sahara that, you know, we, we, we trekked a hundred kilometers over five days across the Sahara. And they were like, you must've been so bored. It's just sand. And I'm like, actually it's not like there's so many different terrains in the Sahara. And it was just, it was just absolutely beautiful, you know, and the, the, you know, you, sometimes you get salt plains and sometimes you would get the sand dunes and sometimes you'd have, you know, the brush. And it was like, every day it was like a different experience. It was quite, surreal in many ways do you ever get that thing uh, in the movies where you know they see a palm tree with water and then they go up to it and there's nothing there you know that we did, we, there was there was some there'd be sometimes there'd just be a tree in the middle of nowhere really like, just yeah one tree. and it was it was again it was like how is this actually surviving you know because mm. the temperatures you know got up to sort of 55 60 degrees during midday like Ooh, absolutely incredible. jesus um and i remember the we 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 climbed the, the highest sand dune in the Sahara, which is called Shigaga. And we climb all the way. And that's, you know, that kind of is the, when you think about the Sahara, that's the, like the image, you know, all sand and everything else. So we got to the top and, you know, you sit there and you do, you have your pictures and it's, you know, sit down for a minute and seek the view. And then it was time to go back down again. And I said to the tour guide, I says, is there any particular way that we can go down this? And he was like, no, you can go down how you want. So literally, I just jumped off and like rolled, like flipped down the, the sand dune. Like it's about, you know, 1200 feet high. It was absolutely brilliant. You can, and the video, I'm just flipping as we go and just rolling down it. Um, oh my but goodness. every night, every night, we, we have a tent and the guy was like, well, you can sleep in the tent if you want, or you can sleep outside. And the, the beautiful thing about it was, you know, I just took my sleeping bag and my, and, and my mat and I went about 150 meters away from the rest of the camp and just sat under the stars and it's the, the clearest sky you've ever seen the brightest stars and the, the, the air is just so like fresh and because obviously the temperature drops and you, you just sit under the stars and, and it was absolutely like honestly you you would not you it was just like breathtaking to see that sort of sight yeah um and then you contrast that to when we went on a what we called an arctic adventure and, you know, you'd wake up in the morning and if it snowed 
and you went out for a walk. I, I went out at about half five in the morning and it had snowed that night and you literally felt like you were the first man on earth to walk over that land. Like, yeah. again, and it was, it was, it's just amazing. Like, there's so much, like people say to me, oh, you know, you must have been everywhere. And I'm like, there are so many places I would still love to go. What's on the top of your list? Um, I've never, I've never done uh, sort of New Zealand or Australia or those kind of places. So I'd like to do that. I'd love it. I'd like to do India. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to go back to South America um, and go down to the the bottom and catch an icebreaker to the South Pole. Uh, um, a, A production company that I work with quite a lot they actually do the filming for the Antarctic marathon. Um, so that's one of the things that I would like to do in my life, but it's, it's a quite an expensive trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd like to do that. Um, and, you know, I, obviously I've never done um, kind of the Philippines or that kind of area, which, are, you know, obviously the one thing that sort of puts me off it is the, is the tourism. Like I like to go to places which say you know haven't been. Yeah, I know what you uh, mean. Yeah, like by that. So yeah. Um, but I, yeah, there, there are just so many different places that out there that I would love to experience. You know, Japan, I would love to go to. Um, yeah. You know, I've got people I know in Moscow. I'd love to go there and just for the just to. You know, everywhere I've. Everywhere I've ever been has its own unique sort of attraction or beauty or, or whatever. And, you know, I think, you know, one of the one of the great changes when people don't get out and travel and they don't see different cultures and experience different things. And, you know, for me, I remember when I when I left to go out to the Middle East, you know, I I, I remember being in the car with my dad and driving there and my leg was shaking up and down. I was that nervous. You know, I was. Yeah, and and then after like three or four days, like it, everything just I just felt like I was an old hat traveling, you know. I, I was the nerves had gone. I was wandering around places. All I had was my the clothes that I was wearing and a camera bag. I didn't take a, a spare change of clothes, and um, I remember you know. So every now and again, I'd have to stop in a laundrette, and I remember sitting in a laundrette uh, in Germany, in with a new like. <laughs> there used to be an advert uh, where the guy has all his clothes and he's got a newspaper over his groin. Yeah. Literally that. <laughs> I can get away with it in Germany because in Germany, like everybody's na- everybody's nude. And so I'm sitting there in a laundrette with a newspaper while my clothes are going around and I'm just waiting for them to be done. And, you know, I remember, I remember being in Munich and um, I went to the, there's a, a, a place called the English Garden in Munich, you know, a big, lovely park. Yeah. And there's a nudist area. And I thought, well, I'll, I'm, I'm away. No one, no one's going to know who I am. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to, going to go. First time I'd ever been to a nudist place, and you know, I was say early mid twenties, and I was thinking, oh yeah, but you know, what happens if, um, you know, what happens if I get excited, you know? <laughs> uh, I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be safe, and I'll, I'll take, I'll take a paper or a magazine just in case. I can put it on my lap and you know hope for the best. I didn't. I didn't have to worry because there were there were two extremely well hung German men <laughs> playing frisbee, and 
I couldn't take my eyes off him. Honestly, <laughs> it, it was like it was like watching a wildlife program in slow motion. And I wanted to like reach up into the air <laughs> to grab this frisbee, and this thing would would just waft like. Oh it? my god! Uh, it, I I don't I don't remember anybody else that was there. All I have is this memory <laughs> of these two German men playing frisbee. <laughs> yeah, there was no chance of any excitement happening, but it was fascinating. <laughs> I tell you, I didn't, I didn't see anything like that. In the uh, everyone's laughing. Anywhere else, you know. So it's all good. But... All right, I, I know you do have to go. Are we all right to get you a couple of questions from the from the uh, live chat. Yeah, sure, sure. Cool. Um, all right, we've got a few here. First one: Who has a prettier face, you or Helena? Obviously, the face of Lady D. Have you connected with her at all? Not yet. No, no, not no. yet. I think you win anyway. <laughs> uh, can you talk I'll about your word on that? <laughs> can you talk about the boulder punching asshole line that made it into Heisenberg fight? I don't think you haven't even played the game, have you? Have you seen the cutscenes? No, not. Someone send me them. I'd love to see them. Oh, really? Because I'd love to. Re- I'd love to recreate them when I do my get my cosplay. Oh, in. yeah. You know that would be quite a little thing to do a little spoof on it as well. You know, maybe uh, put my own spin on it. So, if anybody's got them, I'd really appreciate that. Uh, Belinda says you're most active on Instagram and Patreon. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not a. I'm not a big social media guy, like because. I just, I, I just find it, it can be so absorb, like so absorbing and self-absorbing, you know, and everybody is sort of competing for likes and this kind of thing. And, and so I, I've got Instagram and I've got Facebook. I've not got, I, I think I have a Twitter account, but I've never really used it. Um, but I use, I probably use Instagram more than everything else because a lot of what I do is actually visual. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that the other thing that about social, I, I am kind of a, I do enjoy my private life, so I tend to only put things online which is sort of work related. Um, but I use Patreon as a, as as a way of um, helping to raise funds for the foundation, and I also sort of go into all aspects of my life on Patreon. You know, it's more of a a general diary of you know, what I have and you know, my opinions on things, how I feel, what's going on. Um, just as a, as a, as not a barrier, but, you know, you, I get a lot, a lot of communications and it's just trying to sift through, you know, if I spent, yeah. I spend all day replying to people and everything else. You wouldn't so get I kind anything of done. Yeah. Those people that are like are genuinely supporting me and stuff like that. And it's just an easier format for me to, to use really. So, yeah. Uh, can you ask Joel, how is the Heisenberg cosplay going and how did he fall into cosplay? All my love um, and support. Thank you. Um, we are, I say, I'm, I've got everything. Everything is here. Um, I've sourced everything. I'm just waiting on the hammer. The guy that's, that's printing my hammer in like 3d printing it, that should be done within a week or so. And then I'll be sort of just adding the final touches to it. So I think hopefully within four weeks, I should have some imagery um, nice. from the whole of the, from the whole of the outfit. 
Um, I'm just basically, say, waiting, waiting on, on this guy. Um, but the costume, that's all done. It's just mainly the props. Um, so fingers crossed. And then as soon as it's done, I'll be in the studio. Uh, and I might even um, record me actually doing the shoot. Because I have a, I have a process called what I call self-art. So I am acting as the photographer at the same time as I'm modeling. Um, Good luck. I don't know how you do that. Well, I, I used facial recognition. It's, it's not that technical. I use facial recognition software, which detects my eyes, and that then triggers the camera to fire. So once I've set the camera up and the lighting, all I'm doing is using the facial recognition software to effectively press the camera button. So, so how do you... What, you open your eyes and it does it, or what, what do you have to do? The camera will, will, will track my eyes, and I will set, using, this, using the software, I'll set the camera to fire, say, every three seconds. So it's always focusing on my lead eye. Ah, and it's and just it's constantly shooting, right. Yeah, and so it's a really unique way of me um, photographing myself without the need for a, another photographer to be there. Um, and it allows me a lot of freedom when I'm modeling, you know, um, because when I'm modeling, you know, if I'm doing what we call an implied nude shoot, so when I'm fully naked, but little Joel is, is not going to be in shot. Now, <laughs> if I'm trusting a photographer to shoot that, that requires an awful lot of trust in them. And if I'm doing it myself, Joel, are you there? Joel, he's got. We've lost him. We've lost him, everybody. Um, I can see that Dan is the Duke. Come on, Melinda. That's not nice. Um. Oh, he is. Hold on. Can you hear me, Joel? Yeah, there yeah. we go. Sorry, brother. You cut out there. You froze on me. Out. You froze uh, on me. <laughs> I know you're a good I actor. Freeze? I didn't think you were that good. <laughs> where did we freeze? I can't remember what I was. Uh, yeah, you're talking about just the process. Um, yeah, and so basically, you say the self art, facial recognition fires every few seconds, so I can, I can do custom shoots to whatever uh, a person or a company wants. And so if I've, you know, I've worked with businesses in the past, say, like a suit business. You know, they make suits, so they can send me a suit. He's <laughs> got out again. Oh, no. We're never going to get through this story, Joel. Oh, no. It's the internet. Not mine, by the way. Mine's actually been upgraded lately. Oh, I still wanted to ask him about Neil. Newborn. Good old UK Wi-Fi. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly, Niven. Not again. <laughs> Hold on, maybe if I... Stop video. Oh, no. We lost him again. Mate, can you ask him his thoughts on Neil? Yeah, I'm trying... I'm going to. I'm going 